Dan Shulman, thanks so much for taking the time to kind of chat with me a little bit today. My pleasure. How are you doing? Good. How, how about you? How is everything going on your end? Uh, everything's going pretty well. You know, like everybody, I'm kind of itching to get back to work, but there are bigger things going on in the world right now. So uh, enjoying being home way more than I've ever been home since I was in high school, probably. Uh, and, uh, you know, hoping everybody is staying safe and doing uh, what we can all do to help this along inch by inch. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going to kind of start out with maybe something kind of random, but I think exciting for the both of us because so I write for the Blue Jackets SB Nation page and podcast for them. And I believe you're a big Maple Leafs fan, right? Uh, well, I'm a Toronto native. I, I, I am a Maple Leafs fan. I mean, I'm more of a basketball, baseball guy, probably because that's what I do professionally. But my first love was hockey. I love hockey. I just don't get a, a chance to sit down and watch every game because I'm traveling so much. For work. Uh, I was a, an enormous fan when I was a kid. I will never be a bigger fan of any team than I was of the Toronto Maple Leafs back when I was a kid. And I, I'm still a fan. They, uh, I was three months old the last time they won the Stanley Cup. So I would dearly love to see a Stanley Cup that I remember uh, in my lifetime. So yeah, I'm a fan. Uh, you know, I can name just about every player. I mean, I'm not like crazy psycho super fan, but I, I'm a fan and they underachieved this year. So if hockey comes back and that's the, I guess that would be the eight, nine matchup, right? In the, in yeah, the something like that. Yeah. Something yeah. Like Columbus that. won't be easy, but you know, with Matthews and Marner and Nylander and, and Tavares, there's some firepower there. We're just kind of waiting for it all to click. Yeah. I was, I was just curious about your thoughts were on that potential playing, or I guess that will be the playing series if we do get hockey going. And I know both teams are looking for that revenge matchup against Boston from last season. So it'll be inter- interesting to see kind of how things play out with hockey and everything else. You mentioned basketball and of course baseball. Yeah. What was it like? I mean, I can only imagine going back to March when we're all getting ready for March Madness and then the coronavirus comes and shuts everything down to a halt. Uh, you were, were you getting ready to do like the ACC tournament at that time or? Yeah, I was in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'd gotten there on the Tuesday night and my first game, uh, games were going to be the quarterfinals on Thursday. So, uh, Tuesday night got into town, Wednesday went over to the arena just to watch the two kind of second round games because whoever won those games I would have in the quarterfinals. And it was funny. Uh, I think about it from time to time, you know, in talking to people, there weren't any cases in that county. There weren't any cases in Greensboro. We didn't know a whole lot then. Uh, and I was at uh, the Greensboro Coliseum and a lot of people were kind of like I was I wasn't shaking hands. I was already in the fist bump or elbow bump. I wasn't you know, I wasn't social distancing. We didn't really know all that then. But a lot of people were kind of ah, it's not a big deal. There aren't any cases here. And then our crew went out for dinner Wednesday night, and that was the night that Rudy Gobert tested positive, uh, and Tom Hanks and his wife tested positive, and then Adam Silver shut the, the NBA down. Like, the world changed in an hour while we were at dinner. Went to the arena Thursday, never really expected to do games, and it kind of looked like we were going to do games. Florida State, Clemson came out, warmed up, and back and forth, back and forth, and eventually, uh, one by one, the conference tournament started getting called off, so we didn't do the games. But it was... Uh, you know, I've been doing this a while, and it was one of the more surreal experiences of my broadcasting career. Yeah, um, I, yeah, it was such a weird time, and it was only a couple months ago, and it just seems so much has gone on in a way since then. But did you, in your mind, did you kind of think there was any, it, it seemed kind of like an open field from, I know Dayton was a big, they had a, they, they had a great season, Kansas, usual suspects there, but 
in your mind, did you kind of have a team that you thought could be that team to go all the way or at least make that Final Four run, or is it just kind of random and just... Well, Dayton was kind of a favorite of mine. I saw them in Maui, and they were fantastic, and they lost to Kansas in the Maui championship game. Uh, but it was an overtime game, and I thought Kansas played as well as they could play. Like, Dotson was good, and Azubuki was good. Everybody was good for Kansas. And, uh, you know, a lot of people go, oh, yeah, Dayton, they got that guy, Obi Toppin, and he's going he's gonna to be great. I mean, they had a great team, and everybody knew their role. They had older players. They had guys who could defend. They had guys who shared the ball. I thought it was a terrific team. So Dayton was a team that I was really looking forward to seeing to get a chance. And for their fans, too and you're nearby, you're in the same state. So, uh, you know, they don't get this opportunity all that often. But, you know, I think we know from the regular season how many upsets there were and how many top five teams lost to unranked teams. I don't remember the numbers now, but uh, it was the most upset-laden, if you even want to call them upsets. It was the most unpredictable, maybe is a better way to say it, season that I've been a part of. And, and in college basketball, that's saying something. Yeah, definitely. Now, kind of, I was, I was kind of curious, too. Uh, like you mentioned, you do basketball, you, you've done baseball, you do baseball. Uh, not to put you on the spot, but do you have, I know, you know, I, I know who you're typically uh, partnered up with on the ESPN with college basketball, whether it's Dickie V or Jay Billis. Do you kind of, like, again, not to put you on the spot, but with baseball or basketball, do you kind of have, uh, I want to say, I don't want to say a favorite partner because everybody's different, but I guess obviously kind of maybe you could speak to kind of the uniqueness of each that you kind of. Yeah, no, I've been lucky. I, I've enjoyed everybody that I've worked with. And like you say, I've done more games with Dick Vitale and Jay Billis than I have uh, anybody else. Um, I did a lot of games early with guys like Bill Raftery and Len Elmore. I've worked with Dan Dockage. Uh, I, I done, did a ton of games back in the day with Doris Burke when she was doing men's college basketball. And, I, and Doris and I did a lot of NBA together for a few years back when I was doing that for ESPN. And then on the baseball side, in Toronto, I've worked with Buck Martinez and Pat Tabler a lot. And then for ESPN, uh, I've been so lucky. I mean... Um, Oral Hershiser, Bobby Valentine, Jessica Mendoza, Aaron Boone, Kurt Schilling, John Cruck. Uh, I hesitate because I'm sorry, I'm going to leave. So I'm going to leave somebody out. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I, I've been really lucky. Um, Aaron Boone and I became and have remained very good friends, uh, which is funny now because he manages a team in the same division as the team that I work for. So you know, Blue Jay fans can't stand the Yankees. But I'm friends with Aaron. What are you going to do? I, I'm friends yeah. with Oral. I'm friends with Terry Francona. There's one I left out. You know, Tito did a year with us on, on Sunday Night Baseball and was a, just a tremendous guy. And is a tremendous guy. And one of my favorite people of all time. So I, I, I would never want to single anybody out because, uh, right. but I've been very lucky to work with a lot of great people. Yeah, speaking of baseball, do you feel, I guess, in your heart of hearts, optimistic about uh, a resumption or really like the season even getting going or... And there's so much happening from the financial side of it and then the coronavirus itself. And it's just, I don't know what's going to happen with baseball, yeah. obviously. But uh, I got my fingers crossed. I'm cautiously optimistic, like maybe 51, 49, barely, you know, barely 50, 50. Yeah. They're so far apart, um, you know, and, and I don't know how much time lag there will be between when we do this and when this airs. Things, things are changing quickly right now. Um, yeah. You know, news could break at any moment, but. I got to believe that even though they don't like each other and even though they don't trust each other, that they got to understand they need each other and how terrible it would look if they can't figure this out over money when so many people are unemployed and just begging for a diversion and an escape and something to do while they're sitting at home. And I'm not saying one side should cave into the other. I think they've got to find a way to 
be creative and uh, you know the grown-ups in the room have to figure this out and, and whether it's deferring money I it's not it's not my money it's not my deal but um, they've got to find a way it, the sport would suffer terribly I think if they can't find a way if money is the reason like if health gets in the way okay yeah. then that's that's a different story but money cannot be the reason that baseball doesn't happen this year yeah I definitely agree with that um, so kind of sticking to the Blue Jays how did you like the team I know they're you know, still getting, they have a ton of exciting players like Vlad Guerrero Jr. and getting back into contention, I'm trying to say. Uh, what was kind of your mindset, I guess, of the team, even just going back to spring training, if you can remember back in spring training a couple months ago already, but what was kind of the vibe in Toronto with the Blue Jays? The vibe was better. I mean, they went 67 and 95 last year. That's not a good team, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. made his major league debut. Kevin Biggio made his major league debut. Bo Bichette made his major league debut. debut and that's the foundation for the future, along with other guys like Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Danny Jansen. Um, they've got an incredibly talented young pitcher named Nate Pearson, who, if there is baseball this year, will make his major league debut this year. And then they went out and they added some veterans on their pitching staff, which was the weak spot of the, of the team last year, most notably Hunjin Ryu. It shocked everybody, including most people in Canada, when Hunjin Ryu signed with the Blue Jays, but they gave him a good offer and, and he took it. So... Um, there's a lot of optimism around the team. I don't necessarily think they're ready to be a 90-win team. I mean, I know it's not going to be a full season if they play, but you know what I mean, yeah. uh, right. this year. But if they play and 14 teams make the playoffs instead of 10, so seven in each league, you never know. Uh, short season, they got a chance. Uh, the young players are, are really good. I'm telling you, Bo Bichette is going to be a star, an absolute star. Um, and with another year for Bichette and uh, Vladdy and Biggio and Pearson coming up, I think it's 2021 before they're ready to be really good and maybe 22-23 before they're ready to fight for a championship. But I, I think they're headed in the right direction. Yeah, a lot of exciting talent in baseball. You know, you look at the White Sox, uh, you know, the Blue Jays, lots of big-time prospects coming up. It's definitely the Braves. It's definitely – and you see the Braves. They, I was uh, – down in Atlanta for a Cubs Braves couple games, and that was when Atlanta in 2016. That's when Atlanta was one of the worst teams in baseball. But you see their talent; it's just come to the majors already, and they're already a contender. So it's definitely exciting in baseball when you can get those prospects going, and then the teams are ready to contend in just like two or three years. It seems like. Yeah, baseball is getting younger. You know, the the 31 year old free agents are having more trouble getting good deals, and I think baseball. You know, I know owners realize that. And general managers realize that 21-year-old kids cost a lot less than 31-year-old guys. And, and uh, you, you may as well develop that farm system, get them up to the majors, and, and you know have their six years with you, if that's all it's going to be, be 23 to 29 instead of, say, 26 to 32, take advantage of their younger years. And for Blue Jays fans, they needed to see Vladdy. They needed to see Bichette. They needed to see Biggio. We'd have been hearing about them for so many years, you know, three, four years probably. Yeah. Um, and Guerrero did probably didn't put up the numbers people expected. Everybody expected a Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna type of rookie season. You know, it'd be interesting to see what kind of shape he comes back to camp in after this layoff this year. But I firmly believe he's going to hit and he's going to be a really good player. Bichette, as I, as I told you already, I think he's going to be a great player. And it's fun. I mean, ever since I was yeah. a kid, I loved watching young players. I loved reading about prospects. Uh, and it, it, Blue Jay fans are pretty excited right now. Yeah, I was curious. Uh, I watched the Roy Holiday doc a few days ago, and I was kind of curious if you were able to see that and get kind of what your thoughts were with that. 
I did. Uh, I knew Roy. I was a, so my career path, I started off as a Blue Jay broadcaster, then went to ESPN, and now I'm not really doing much baseball for ESPN anymore. I've kind of come back to the Blue Jays. So I was a Blue Jay broadcaster for the first few years of Halliday's career, his rookie season, his first full season, and then the year he really struggled, and then the year he got sent down and came back. I was gone by the time he turned into Doc and became the best pitcher in baseball or one of the best pitchers in baseball for the better part of a decade. It, it was funny because I would actually see Roy doing Phillies games because with ESPN in 2007, eight, nine, 10, the Phillies were so good. I, I would do a number of Phillies games, but I didn't see him at all uh, when he was, well, I guess now that I think about it, he was a blue Jay through 2009. So I wouldn't have seen him with the Phillies till 2010. So I didn't see a ton of Roy in person when he was as good a pitcher as there was in baseball. Uh, I knew a fair bit about what was going to be in there before it hit, um, uh, just through someone knew someone who knew someone, you know, relationships, connections, um, through people that I know actually. So it didn't come as a complete surprise, but at the same time, I found it riveting in a very sad way. Um, you know, back then, well, throughout his, his career, Roy kind of kept the media at bay. He was a very private person. Um, I never found him intimidating. He was always really nice to me, but I knew enough not to bug him on game day. And I knew enough if I sat him down for an interview on another day, you were going to get, he wasn't going to let you in. And I think now we see some of the reasons, you know, he, he liked to have things a certain way. He was a creature of habit, routine. He was almost robotic in the way that he went about his business. And back then, I, I didn't know uh, about how he was suffering. And again, it was later in his career, from what we understand from the, the, the E60 piece, a back injury led to a dependency on opioids, and that started to spiral down. And, but, but even earlier, it sounded like he, you know, he was dealing with insecurity and some emotional issues. Um, they didn't go as much into the movie into his Blue Jay years. Uh, when he got sent down, called back up, when he met a, a psychologist named Harvey Dorfman and read a book, The ABCs of Pitching, I think it was called. And some of the people who really helped him, Pat Henkin, Paul Quantrill, like I know those guys really well. Chris Carpenter was maybe his closest friend. So um, the E60 piece devoted more time to his Phillies years and then even after retirement. So I knew him best way back at the beginning when he was 21, 22-year-old kid. Um, but it, it was hard to watch. It, you know, I, I knew him and I know his yeah. wife. Um, uh, my wife used to work for the Blue Jays. She knows his wife even better than I know his wife. Mm. And it, it was it, it was a tough watch, but it was an important yeah. watch. Yeah, I actually saw him pitch uh, when I was at a Red Blue Jays game back in 03. I know they won the game. I remember I remember Delgado hit a grand slam in the crowd. I think we were at the concessions. The crowd just groaned, and I was like, oh, probably something happened. And, yeah, Delgado hit a grand slam. Holiday was pitching that day. But, um, yeah, when I was watching that at E60, I, when they mentioned the opioid, I was thinking, do I remember that? Because they mentioned how he went to rehab around 13, I think it was. And I was like, I don't know if I even knew that part of it. I knew that in the recent days I started to hear things, some of the, some of the darker sides of things that I don't even know if I ever knew about. Or if I did, I just didn't even remember. But, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I, uh, I don't remember that stuff coming out at all during his yeah. playing career. I think it was get, kept very quiet, and that certainly was the family's right to do that. Yeah, for sure. You know, then when you think about that combined with flying, uh, you can understand mm -hmm. how the risks 
became a, as great as they were. And, yeah. um, it, it, it was sad. It, it really was. He, he was an exceedingly nice person, very private, but an exceedingly nice person. I don't know what he was like with the Phillies, but I know with the Blue Jays Charitable Foundation, he was beyond generous, uh, both with money, with time. He would buy a box, uh, like a private box at the, at the Rogers Center, and every game would donate it to a different group of kids, a different at-risk group. He was a really, really good person who unfortunately had some dependencies and had some demons. Yeah, I actually heard a story on ESPN 1000 out of Chicago last, sometime last week, but they were mentioning how Holiday, when he threw his perfect game for the Phillies, that um, he wanted to get a watch for everybody. And, they, and I remember the story was something like, uh, you know, the clubhouse staff person was like, oh, just for the players, right? Like, no, everybody. He's like, oh, the coaches? He's like, no, every single person that's affiliated with the Phillies. So that was a really cool story. And um, yeah. yeah, I think he even went back, like there was a coach that he worked with in Colorado when he was in high school. Uh, and, and actually I only know this because I'm reading, there's a book out on him right now by Todd Zalecki, who's a really good writer from Philadelphia. And I believe it's, uh, Buss Campbell, I think was his name, somebody who worked with Roy when he was in high school. And I believe by the time Roy threw the perfect game, Buss had passed away. I hope I'm not getting the story all wrong, but Roy sent a watch to his, to his family, you know, to thank him for that. And that's the, again, that's the kind of guy he was. He didn't want the fanfare. He didn't want the attention, but he was a really, really good person. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, when you were on Carmen and Yurko last week, I remember, I think it came up, maybe they asked you uh, what your, some of your like top moments were. I think you were saying how I can't, you know, try to think of all the things you've done, but I guess if you had a rank, maybe, the, you know, you've done World Series and things like that. I know one of the games I think you were at was the... I don't know if it was, I think it was the Phillies and the Mets back around when you had to announce on ESPN about the Osama bin Laden. Yeah. That whole, uh, what are some of the like maybe top moments, I guess? I, I, I can assume World Series, maybe, you know, big time college basketball games obviously are on the list, but yeah. anything yeah. kind of stick the, out? The Osama bin Laden game is probably the most surreal moment I've ever had on the air um, because you don't go into a ball game expecting that the world's most wanted man is going to be killed while you're doing a game and it's going to come out and you're going to be uh, the only live sporting event going on and there are 45,000 people there who start chanting USA, USA. So that was a, a really unusual moment. Um, but in terms of my favorite games, uh, some of them are doing the World Series or the playoffs for ESPN Radio. I was, I've been very lucky. I've done the last nine World Series. You know, doing the Cubs winning the World Series was special. You know, yeah. How many, how many people have done that? It was 108 years. Uh, my favorite moment, maybe, or one of the biggest ones, David Freeze in Game 6 of the World Series in 2011, tripling in the ninth to tie it, homering in the 11th to win it. 2015, uh, this game right here, Jose Bautista with the bat flip home run that he hit. You know, being a Toronto guy, it was really cool to be in the ballpark. My parents were there. My sons were there to, to do that game where he... Uh, gave the Blue Jays the lead in the fifth and deciding game against Texas in a division series. Uh, those would be some of the biggest uh, baseball. I've done a couple of no hitters, which are uh, which are really cool as well. College basketball, um, you know, doing Duke Carolina games is beyond my wildest dreams. And I've done like 26, 27 of them, something like that. And they've all been great yeah. and special. Uh, my favorite college basketball moment ever probably is Indiana beating number one Kentucky in 2011. Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, just a, an incredible team. 
and a guy named Christian Watford hit a three at the buzzer, literally like the ball's in the air and the horn goes off and Indiana wins the game and they storm the court, you know, just sensational. And then, uh, you know, one thing that was tremendously fun for me that nobody remembers me doing literally except family members in 1994, I was only 27 years old. Uh, I went to the Olympics for Canadian TV and called hockey. And that was really cool. I was the B guy. I didn't get any of the Canada games. I did, uh, you know, Russia, Norway, Finland, Sweden, U.S., Czech Republic. But it was fantastic. And what a great experience. The only Olympics I've ever been to, to see a place like Norway, to call an Olympics. That, that's one of my favorite events that I've ever done. Do you think you could call hockey right now? Or is it kind of, I mean, it's so fast and it's, yeah. I can only imagine how challenging. Yeah, I, I mean... Basketball is fast too. Hockey's a little bit different. I called hockey sporadically up here in Canada for four or five years. Uh, you know, never like 70, 80 game, never for a team. It was for a TSM, one of the national networks up here. I, I've probably done 150 hockey games in my life. Maybe, maybe not that many. I think I could do it. I, I don't know if I could do it tonight off a monitor because we're in the middle yeah. of a pandemic. But yeah. like, I think if they, if somebody came to me in June and said, we'd like you to do some hockey starting in October, I could do it. Uh, yeah. Can I tell you every Stanley Cup champion all the way through the last 25 years off the top of my head? No. Like, I, yeah. I'm not going to lie to people. I've been so heavily involved in basketball and baseball that that's where, you know, my brain is, is, it can only retain what it can only retain. Oh yeah. Um, sure. But if I put some work into it, yeah. And, and, you know, I would, I guess, need to ask people to be patient with me a little bit at the beginning. I, I'd make a mistake or two, I'm sure, but I, I could get going. Well, you're such a great broadcaster and you have like the perfect voice. I feel like for, you know, games on TV, it's like, it just, I don't know. It just seems right when you got, when you're on and everybody's, you know, <laughs> things are normal. You're, you're on ESPN doing college basketball or whatever game it is. It's like, yep. This is a good crew. I like this. Well, I appreciate it. That's very kind of you to say. And, and I'm glad you say this is a good crew because it is. We, I work with a great crew. Yeah. And, and, you know, people know me and Jay and Holly is now with us a lot or Allison Williams, our sideline reporter. But producer, director, statistician, audio people, tape people, you name it. It's a great crew. And, and uh, people like that all across, for all networks all across the country do great work behind the scenes and don't get enough credit. Yeah, I've really gotten into doing these podcasts and getting into editing and figuring out this stuff kind of on the fly on my own. I've really taken more of appreciation for the behind the scenes and all the editing and all the all the technical stuff that goes into this kind of stuff. So I definitely respect the people that can do these things so seamlessly and especially during, you know, like the NFL Network was from Goodell's basement and or the draft, yeah. I should say, the NFL draft and <laughs> yeah. the things that are going on. And it's like people are adjusting and having to do these things you know, differently. So it's definitely, well, it's good you're, you're, you're acquiring new skills during this time. So I, you know, I always counsel everybody, young people like yourself getting into the business. Don't, uh, you know, like go play your Fortnite when you need a break, that's fine, but don't play Fortnite eight hours a day for 10 weeks. Cause you know, work on something, pick up a new skill, figure out what you're good at, get some stuff online that people can see. You never know. Yeah, I started out, uh, I was an intern for the, for the uh, Richmond Flying Squirrels and the Augusta Green Jackets and for the Giants organization a few years ago. So I've, I, I don't work in sports now, but I do my own, like just sell my website and just kind of trying to do interviews when I can just for fun and see what I can learn. So it's definitely been a cool experience and it's been great talking with, you know, like yourself as far as learning and hearing your stories and stuff. So I definitely appreciate you taking the time. No, it's my pleasure. Uh, happy to do it. Always happy to talk sports. Definitely. Well, that's all I had, Dan. I really appreciate it again, and I hope you have a good night. Be well and, and uh, stay safe. All the best to you.
Yeah, you too. Thanks so much.